0: Uh, If you'll be turning in your hymnals again uh, to the end of the hymnal, page 870, that brings us up to where we are in our catechism study. As we get all of our materials ready here, page 870, we'll have the catechism question for us. We're looking at questions 14 and 15 today. As we've done in the past, let's, uh, let me read the question 14, and then we'll read the answer 14 together, and then I'll read question 15, and we'll read the answer to question 15 uh, together. Uh, so question 14 says, what is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And then question 15, what was the sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created? The sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created was their eating the forbidden fruit. Uh, If you're trying to memorize the catechism, question 15 is your friend, (laughs) Uh, because you just repeat the question and then say they're eating the forbidden fruit, which is great. Uh, Let me read uh, for you. Uh, There's actually three passages we'll look at briefly tonight. And so, feel free. You could turn there if you want, but if you need to, just hear them. We'll, we'll sort of camp out on each one briefly. First uh, John three four, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Uh, sin is lawlessness. James four seventeen, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And then at the end we'll land on Second Corinthians five twenty one, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for these uh, questions 14 and 15, these very sobering questions. Uh, I pray that uh, we would walk away with a clear sense of what sin is and a clear sense of uh, what your son did to deal with it on our behalf. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So the question... Uh, What is sin? Uh, It's sort of an interesting question. In in some ways, of all the questions in the catechism, uh, probably people would get at a—if you're a Christian who's been around the Bible for uh, some time, you you could probably pretty easily uh, give a decent answer to what sin is, uh, especially breaking God's law. But we see our catechism question sort of uh, it doesn't let us have the hook. It it, it does the positive and the negative. It, it says it's transgressing or breaking the law. We'll talk about that. But it's also not conforming or failing to do what the law commands. And so, uh, you know, you kids or, or maybe when you were younger and your parents left you alone at home, if you were old enough for that um, – uh, maybe anyone can help me out. What might have been some of the don'ts that they might have said? Okay, we're going to be gone for three hours. Don't... Leave the house. Don't leave the house. That'd be a bad thing. Okay? Don't answer, don't answer the door. That's a good, good safety thing. Maybe one more don't. Don't eat the cake. Eat the cake. Wow. <laughs> Dennis liked to really set it up just like the Garden of Eden every time. Uh, he left it out right there. So, okay. So those are some don'ts. What would be some Do's. what might they ask you to do? Hey, while we're gone, can you... Be nice to your okay, be nice. <laughs> That's good. This is specific. Be nice to your sister. Finish the, Finish the dishes. Good. There might be some chores to do. Pick up your room. Yes. These are valid things parents can ask. Sorry, uh, kids, if you weren't aware of that. So there's some don'ts and some do's. If, if they came home and you said, hey, I didn't leave the house. I did not eat the cake. And I didn't do that third thing that I forget. But you also didn't do any of the things they asked you to do. You didn't clean your room, didn't do that. Have you obeyed your parents at that point? No. So you can't just say, well, I didn't do the really bad things you told me not to do. We sort of know it intrinsically that it's, there's a positive and a negative aspect. And the catechism question helps us to think about this. Um, Adam and Eve, for instance, uh, were told to do many things. Actually, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, to tend the garden. Uh, implicit, as they were, uh, it's not so much a command, but I mean, God walked with them in the cool of the day. They were to love Him, to worship Him, to fellowship with Him. Uh, but what was the don't that they were given? Don't eat the cake. Uh, don't eat the fruit. Don't eat of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so tonight we want to understand what sin is and therefore what it means to glorify a God as we combat sin in our own lives. And part of how we do that is looking back to the very first sin because uh, we'll see that it actually informs so much of, of uh, continuing sin uh, in the world and, and, and in which we battle against as well. So let's just very briefly, uh, I'll just let you know sort of the outline. We're going to look at sin as breaking God's law, that sort of negative aspect. Sin as failing to do God's law, sort of that uh, positive, what we don't do. And then Jesus and our sin. What does Jesus do about this? Uh, so sin is breaking God's law. Uh, you probably noticed, you know, First John 3, 4, you might even have that memorized or it, it triggered in your memory. Uh, sin is lawlessness. Uh, so if you asked uh, John, John, what is sin? Uh, he might give that answer. Sin is lawlessness. Uh, God has his law and we break uh, his law. You know, classically, you would think of the Ten Commandments and, and move through them and, and say, you know, have I ever stolen? Have I ever lied? Uh, it gets harder at the very beginning. Have I ever... Love something other than God more than God? That's harder. So, we, so it's the breaking, the transgressing, the, the, the going over the fence of God's uh, boundaries. Uh, the other day we were in our living room and I heard Miles uh, shout out, Bunny, bunny, bunny. Uh, we have a bunny. Uh, but he was pointing to the front yard, <laughs> which is outside the gate. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, he probably rescued the bunny because we wouldn't have noticed. The bunny somehow slipped through the gate, And uh, as she likes to do, and was in the front yard. And we were able to, Amy and I, were able to corner her and get her back in her cage. But she loves her cage. Uh, you kind of become a, a Disney villain as you're chasing your your bunny. But, you know, the, the the bunny has this tendency. It wants to just get out of the very thing that's keeping her safe, right? Um, and that's what we do when we sin, when we transgress. We we jump over the fence. We try to break through the fence, uh, the very good th- uh, boundaries that God has uh, given us. And so this first aspect, it's, it's the breaking of God's law. And so when we think back, as we'll do in each section, we look back to Adam and Eve's first sin. Uh, and that's the second question. What, what was the sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created? It was eating the forbidden fruit. And um, certainly non-believers, but I think if we're honest, sometimes we think, is that it? Like, that was the sin? I, I could think of worse sins that I've seen in a fallen world. Um, they ate a fruit. Is that, in other words, wh- why is this such a big deal? And what does it tell us about other sin? Uh, we have to say that the fruit itself was not evil, so it's not like the fruit was intrinsically evil in itself, and that's why it was sinful for them to eat it. If you focus right down to it, what was so sinful about it was that God asked them not to eat it, right? And so what was behind this uh, first sin? And uh, actually, let's camp on that for a second. Why was it such a big deal? Um, I was reading uh, uh, Thomas Watson on this, uh, a Puritan author, Um, and, and, and he says, uh, there's a couple ways that you can go about it. Because it, it's hard for us as humans who uh, were born in a sinful estate. If we're in Christ, as we saw the fourfold state, we're, we're in a different estate now. Uh, but it's hard for us to really see the weight of sin and what it is. Uh, that simply disobeying God, uh, whether the command was not to eat the fruit or if it was something else, and Adam and Eve decided to disobey, our, our humanness sort of intrinsically says, that's not that big of a deal. Like, I get it. Got to obey. Uh, But when we think about our sin, we have to think about uh, transgressing the law of God. Uh, In other words, it it matters whose law we're transgressing. We know this intrinsically on a personal level. Um, You know, it's one thing to, you know, you steal from a store and you feel guilty. Um, It's a different thing uh, if if, if your best friend who's always been good to you, if you ever need anything, uh, they, they give you the money you need or they, you know they uh, spend time with you, they've been such a wonderful friend, if you betray them and steal from them, is that going to affect you a little bit more um, when, if, Lord willing, you come to a sense of guilt about it, to betray a good friend who is trustworthy uh, and who uh, is worthy of your love and trust, even on a personal level? Uh, we start to see, wait a minute, there's something more going on here. Um, and when we think about, if you think to the beginning of the catechism, God's uh, perfections, his holiness, his uh, His righteousness, his perfection, uh, which we said we can truly know, we can know God who he is, but we can't comprehensively, we can't fully comprehend how amazing, how good, how pure God is. And it's this God who walked in the cool of the day with his people, uh, of whom... Uh, they sinned against And so you could start to see Okay there's more going on here it's, it's disobeying but it's disobeying God who made them Who loved them Who by the way said you could eat of any tree in the garden Right It wasn't just don't eat the cake It was look at the abundance in this pantry um, You can have any of it And I've given it for you And yet they disobeyed And so was their sin really that bad? We have to say yes. And Watson goes on to say, not only looking at that personal nature, but if you really want to get down to it, uh, he says, uh, uh, um, see the evil of sin in the price paid for it. So we can look at the personal nature, we can look at the holiness of God, and then we go right to the cross, where Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we say, how evil is sin? Uh, does it really deserve death? And then we look to the cross and say, He really took death for the sake of our sins. So if if we are harboring a sense that sin really isn't that bad, then what Jesus experienced was injustice on a cosmic level. If sin is just kind of bad, um, and then Jesus went and died for it, do you see the inconsistency there? And so we start at the cross, and we work our way back, and we say even that very first sin was truly sinful, truly breaking God's law. So sin is transgressing the law. Sin is also failing to do God's will. Again, we're, we're, we're pretty ready to talk about the first category, but uh, the second one is a little bit less obvious to us, or at least we like to not think about it as much uh, when we're thinking of confessing our sins. Uh, but we, if, if we call the first category sometimes sins of commission, uh, if you're familiar with these terms, these would be the sins of omission, omitting the things that God might call us to do. So James 4.17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, uh, for him it is sin. It is sin. Uh, think of this morning in our text, the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, the rich man wasn't, you know, Hurting Lazarus, he wasn't kicking him. Uh, he wasn't stealing from him. Uh, he, the rich man, wasn't doing. Being rich isn't a sin. So, nothing the rich man was doing was sort of overtly breaking certain commandments in, in this very obvious way, transgressing. Uh, one commentator says uh, he is not said to have committed any grave sin, uh, but he lived only for himself, and that was his condemnation. Uh, he failed to do what god calls him to do what, what's the summary of the law but to love god with everything you have and to love your neighbor as yourself but he just kept walking by his neighbor and not loving his neighbor so it's not just don't hurt your neighbor which is important but the deeper is love your neighbor as yourself and so we call these sins of omission and again think of adam and eve we of course we think of their breaking of the law of uh, their eating of the fruit uh, but by doing so, they were failing in their positive calling to be fruitful and multiply, to worship God. Uh, instead of seeing uh, life with God and fellowship with him spread, we think, you know, starting in the garden and spreading over all of creation, uh, they started to forfeit this beautiful calling that they were given by God. And so Adam and Eve not only transgressed, but they also failed to do uh, the very things that God I was calling them to do, and to flip this positively, once we belong to Christ, this is actually a really powerful way. I think to combat our sin uh, is to, of course, we combat our sin by saying, "This is sin. This is lawlessness. Uh, I don't want to break God's law." That's all valid and part of our fight against sin. Uh, but another sort of tactic that we can have against sin is to think of our calling. Uh, he is—he has called me to be a, a holy people, a holy nation. Uh, the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. I- I'm part of that, so I could choose to do this thing, um, and God's grace. In in one sense, of, of course, He's going to f- forgive me. But wait a minute, that's not even that doesn't even fit anymore. That's not who He's called me to be. Uh, that's not who He's transformed me to be a new creation with a new mission. Uh, can you see how that kind of gets at the root? Um, I-, I I wanted to put. Uh, we have a few of these left, and maybe some of you have seen this, but Thomas Brooks, another Puritan, has this book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And it's, it's just chock full of things like that. Uh, he It's almost like a field manual. Uh, when you experience this kind of temptation, here are promises of God that combat that. Um, Uh, You know, Satan wants you, when you're discouraged, maybe you're tempted in this way, but look at these encouragements from Christ himself. So I I do commend that to you. I I hope we might buy more of those to keep those stocked, because that's been a a precious book uh, for me in in battling sin as well. Uh, So Adam and Eve, again, they they transgressed the law. They also failed to do what God called them uh, to do. Uh, But praise the Lord, this wasn't the end of the story. What about Jesus and, and our sin? What does Jesus do with it? As we said with Watson, see the evil of sin and the price paid for it. And another way of putting it, and Second Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I remember we said at the beginning, you know, if, even if on a human level somehow, which we can't, Uh, we could perfectly uh, resist breaking, transgressing God's law in that sense. Um, Never steal, right? Think of all the sort of negative commandments especially. Imagine a person who who could do that. Would that person, by simply uh, refraining from doing the don'ts in the law, would they then be worthy in and of themselves to enter into God's holy presence? No, we we know that there's a bigger picture. And and when we think of Jesus and his work, uh, we talk about his, uh, I'll explain these terms, but his passive obedience and his active obedience. Uh, I'll I'll explain passive in a second, but his active obedience is, is Jesus completing the whole law, fulfilling all of the law. Uh, Truly loving God with all he was and truly loving his neighbor as himself uh, at every moment. There was never a moment that Jesus was not um, zealously fulfilling the law of his father whom he loved. His passive obedience, which we'll say in a minute why that might not be the most helpful term, is the penalty that he paid for our sins. Of commission and omission. So Jesus on the cross, as we said, uh, if the wages of sin is death, his, his passive obedience was being willing to go and endure all the punishment that was deserved to us, <clears throat> and then his active obedience is completing all that is required of us as creatures in God's sight made in him. And so 2 Corinthians 5.21 is amazing, and, and I do encourage you to memorize it, uh, for our sake, he made him Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We we call this the great exchange. Uh, we in our own nature deserved only death. We weren't uh, we weren't able to have that sort of active obedience that would um, that would match up with God's law. That our heart was always in it to love God and love our neighbor. But Christ did, and we switched places. Uh, When he went to the cross, it was as if he was, uh, Luther says, in that moment he became the greatest sinner the world had ever known through substitution. Now, of course, Jesus himself never truly became a sinner in that sense. He was treated, as it were, and it's put provocatively, uh, he was treated as the greatest sinner the world had ever known as he bore all the sins of his people on the cross and was treated as such the wrath that they deserved. But that's not the end of the story. He traded with us his perfect righteousness, uh, which he lived out on this earth, uh, so, that, um, uh, so that in our justification, when, when God declares us just, righteous, uh, he means it. <laughs> uh, he means that in Christ, he views us as perfectly righteous, perfectly uh, worthy to come into his presence in the cool of the day, one day, and this is the amazing uh, nature of the gospel. And this helps us so much to fight our sin. And because when we're tempted to sin, we could look to the cross and say, he died for every sin. Why would, I, why would I even entertain the idea of continuing to sin? And he lived in my place. Um, he can give me what I need now to resist this sin provide the way out. Give me his spirit so that I could fight sin and glorify him. And one day, temptation itself will be done away with. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, your word. And we thank you that it uh, speaks plainly to us and honestly to us uh, as a mirror uh, to remind us, to show us what sin really is. Uh, We Pray uh, that we would come to a deeper understanding of it so that we'd come to a deeper understanding of what Christ did for us at the cross and what he did for us in his life of obedience. I pray that we would be a people more and more that would be putting sin to death by the power of the Spirit, uh, that we would see progress, that we would see just the joy of of having freedom from uh, even specific sins. And so would you do that, uh, Uh, with me and those present here and and the rest of those in our church body. Um, uh, We'll give you all the glory, Lord, as you uh, do this mortifying work in us. We pray this uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.